Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse <clears throat> over the link on the top menu for online edition, you will see a drop down that contains the link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop down menu, there's also a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, with Section 6. The Ego Body Illusion. And at the top of the hour, uh, I hear in about half an hour, we pause for to <laughs> practice our lesson for the day. Lesson 44, God is the light in which I see. And... Uh, Fran won't be with us this morning, so we are looking for a volunteer to lead that reflection on Lesson 44. Anyone? Anyone want to take that role right now? Or we'll do it at the time. I'll take it. And uh, is that Judy? Yes, good morning, Lemoyne. I'll, I'll wait to read until the lesson. Thank you. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Clear? Okay, and uh, this, is, uh, this is one of my favorite things. And to turn it over to you, Lori, would you read uh, one of your two poems you have selected for today? I'd love to, Lauren. It was one of those um, pleasant redirects that sometimes come just at the right time. And I haven't turned to this book for a while, so I was really happy to open it. The book is My Secret is Silence, Poetry and Sayings of Adi Shanti. And uh, it's just perfect for today and the tradition of uh, great Sufi poets that talk about the line of bliss, uh, that bliss being uh, the presence of God. Here's a great poem. It's called The Innermost Table. You want me to speak of love, and so I will. But the love of which I can speak costs me all my coins of illusion, and so I cannot compromise its virtues, nor quibble over its price. 
This love is divine nectar, a wine found only at the innermost table. It has seen endless days of rain and sun and harvest. It has been made wise and mellow by the passing of time, and its refined taste is uncompromising to those who prefer their wine sweet and young, overly sweet. Although at times you may appear to be swept away by its dizzying effects, you will find that you have the clarity of a diamond and the reflexes of a falcon. You will remain capable of compassion and ruthless decisiveness alike. In one hand you will hold a feather and in the other a sword. Drink the wine of this love and your life will change. Instead of being a gatherer of the divine light, you will be its shine. It will be the end of you and the beginning. God is the light in which I see. Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you, Lori. Sure, it's for Adi Ashanti. <laughs> Thanks, Ida. I'm glad you liked it. I did too. Uh, may I add my thanks? Thank you, Lori. And uh, okay, now I'd go through the list of who I have uh, for this and reading this morning. Uh, Lori, Diana, Jessica, Robin Marie, Karen, and Donna. And with this and listening are Ida and Judy. And uh, see ya. Is there anyone else who's joined the call? Uh, I'd like to say good morning. Or join the reading list. Okay. All right, I'll get us started then with the reading in uh, Chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, Section 6, The Ego-Body Illusion. All things work together for good. There are no exceptions, except in the ego's judgment. The ego resents everything it does not control. Control is a central factor in what the ego permits into consciousness and one to which it devotes its maximum vigilance. This is not the way a balanced mind holds together. Its control is unconscious. The ego is further off balance by keeping its primary motivation unconscious and raising control rather than sensible judgment to predominance. The ego has every reason to do this according to the thought system which gave rise to it and which it serves. 
sane judgment would inevitably judge against the ego and must be obliterated by the ego in the interest of its self-preservation. And Lori. Uh, chapter 4, The Root of All Evil, Section 6, The Ego-Body Illusion. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paragraph 69. All things work together for good. There are no exceptions, except in ego's judgment. Control is a central factor in what the ego permits into consciousness and one to which it devotes its maximum vigilance. This is not the way a balanced mind holds together. Its control is unconscious. The ego is further off balance by keeping its primary motivation unconscious and raising control rather than sensible judgment to predominance. Ego has every reason to do this according to the thought system which gave rise to it and which it serves. Sane judgment would inevitably judge against the ego and must be obliterated by the ego in the interest of its self-preservation. A major source of the ego's off-balance state is its lack of discrimination between impulses from God and from the body. Any thought system which makes this confusion must be insane. Yet this demented state is essential to the ego, which judges only in terms of threat or non-threat to itself. In one sense, the ego's fear of the idea of God is at least logical, since the idea does dispel the ego. Fear of dissolution from a higher source then makes some sense in ego terms, but fear of the body with which the ego identifies so closely is more blatantly senseless. Thank you, Laurie. And Diana. Good morning. 70. A major source of the ego's off-balance state is its lack of discrimination between impulses from God and from the body. Any thought system which makes this confusion must be insane. Yet, this demented state is essential to the ego, which judges only in terms of threat or non-threat to itself. In one state, the ego's fear of the idea of God is at least logical, since this idea does dispel the ego. Fear of dissolution from the higher source then makes some sense in the ego's terms. But fear of the body with which the ego identifies so closely is more blatantly senseless. 71. The body is the ego's home by which its own election. It is the only identification with which the ego feels safe because the body's vulnerability is its own best argument that you cannot be of God. 
This is the belief that the ego sponsors eagerly, yet the body hates, yet the ego hates the body because it does not accept the idea that the body is good enough to be its home. Here is where the mind comes actually based, being told by the ego that it is really part of the body and that the body is its protector. The mind is also constantly informed that the body cannot protect it. This, of course, is not only accurate, but perfectly obvious. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Jessica. 71. The body is the ego's home by its own election. It is the only identification with which the ego feels safe because the body's vulnerability is its own best argument that you cannot be of God. This is the belief that the ego sponsors eagerly. Yet the ego hates the body because it does not accept the idea that the body is good enough to be its home. Here is where the mind becomes actually dazed. Being told by the ego that it is really part of the body and that the body is its protector, the mind is also constantly informed that the body cannot protect it. This, of course, is not only accurate, but perfectly obvious. Therefore, the mind asks, where can I go for protection? To which the ego replies, turn to me. The mind, and not without cause, reminds the ego that it has itself insisted that it is identified with the body, so there's no point in turning to it for protection. The ego has no real answer to this because there is none, but it does have a typical solution. It obliterates the question from the mind's awareness. Once unconscious, the question can and does produce uneasiness, but it cannot be answered because it cannot be asked. This is the question which must be asked. Where am I to go for protection? Even the insane ask it unconsciously, but it requires real sanity to ask it consciously. Thank you, Jessica. And Robin Marie. 72. Therefore, the mind asks question, uh, quotation marks, where can I go for protection? Unquote. To which the ego replies, quote, turn to me. Unquote. The mind, and not without cause, reminds the ego that it has itself insisted that it is identified with the body. So there is no point in turning to it for protection. The ego has no real answer to this because there is none, but it does have a typical solution. It obliterates the question from the mind's awareness. Once unconscious, the question can and does produce uneasiness, but it cannot be answered because it cannot be asked. This is the question which 
must be asked, quote, where am I to go for protection, unquote. Even the insane ask it unconsciously, but it requires real sanity to ask it consciously. 73. When the Bible says, quote, seek and ye shall find, unquote, it does not mean that you should seek blindly and desperately for something you would not recognize. Meaningful seeking is consciously undertaken, consciously organized, and consciously directed. The goal must be formulated clearly and kept in mind. As a teacher with some experience, let me remind you that learning and wanting to learn are inseparable. All learners learn best when they believe that what they are trying to learn is of value to them. However, values in this world are hierarchical and not everything you may want to learn has lasting value. Thank you, Robin Murray and Karen. 73. When the Bible says, quote, seek and ye shall find, unquote, it does not mean that you should seek blindly and desperately for something you would not recognize. Meaningful seeking is consciously undertaken, consciously organized, and consciously directed. The goal must be formulated clearly and kept in mind. As a teacher with some experience, let me remind you that learning and wanting to learn are inseparable. All learners learn best when they believe that what they are trying to learn is of value to them. However, values in this world are hierarchical and not everything you may want to learn has lasting value. 74. Indeed, many of the things you want to learn are chosen because their value will not last. The ego thinks it is an advantage not to commit itself to anything that is eternal because the eternal must come from God. Eternalness is the one function which the ego has tried to develop but has systematically failed. It may surprise you to learn that had the ego wished to do so, it could have made the eternal, because as a product of the mind, it is endowed with the power of its own creator. However, the decision to do this, rather than the ability to do it, is what the ego cannot tolerate. That is because the decision from which the ability would naturally develop would necessarily involve accurate perception, a state of clarity which the ego, fearful of being judged truly, must avoid. Thank you, Karen. And Donna. Indeed, many of the things you want to learn are chosen because their value will not last. The ego thinks it is an advantage not to commit itself to anything that is eternal, because the eternal must come from God. 
Eternalness is the one function which the ego has tried to develop but has systematically failed. It may surprise you to learn that had the ego wished to do so, it could have made the eternal because as a product of the mind, it is endowed with the power of its creator. However, the decision to do this rather than the ability to do it is what the ego cannot tolerate. That is because the decision from which the ability would naturally develop would necessarily involve accurate perception, a state of clarity, which the ego, fearful of being judged, truly must avoid. 75. The results of this dilemma are peculiar, but no one, but no more so than the dilemma itself. The ego has reacted characteristically here as elsewhere because mental illness, which is always a form of ego involvement, is not a matter of reliability as much as of validity. The ego comprises, compromises with the issue of the eternal, just as it does with all issues that touch on the real question in any way. By compromising in connection with all tangential questions, it hopes to hide the real question and keep it out of mind. The ego's characteristic busyness with non-essentials is for precisely that purpose. Thank you, Donna. <clears throat> and is there a new reader for 75 and 76? New reader for 75 and 6? 75 and 76. I'll jump in. Thank you, LeMoyne. The results of this dilemma are peculiar, but no more so than the dilemma itself. <laughs> the ego has reacted characteristically here, as elsewhere, because mental illness, which is always a form of ego involvement, is not a matter of reliability as much as of validity. The ego compromises with the issue of the eternal, just as it does with all issues that touch on the real question in any way. By compromising in connection with all tangential questions, it hopes to hide the real question and keep it out of mind. The ego's characteristic busyness with non-essentials is for precisely that purpose. Consider the alchemist's age-old attempt to turn base metal into gold. The one question which the alchemist did not permit himself to ask was, what for? <laughs> he could not ask this because it would immediately become apparent that there was no sense in his efforts even if he succeeded. If gold became more plentiful, its value would decrease and his own purpose would be defeated. 
the ego has countenanced some strange compromises with the idea of the eternal, making an odd, making many odd attempts. Excuse me, to realize the concept, to unimportant. Excuse me, making many odd attempts to relate the concept to the unimportant in an effort to satisfy the mind without jeopardizing itself. Thus, it has permitted minds to, to devote themselves to the possibility of perpetual motion, but not to perpetual thoughts. Amen. Thank you, Judy. And is there another new reader for 76 and 77? New reader for 76 and 77? Okay, back to you, Lori. I'll see you. I'm going to just take last sentence before. The ego's characteristic busyness with non-essentials is for precisely the purpose of hiding the real question and keeping it out of mind. Consider the alchemist's age-old attempts to turn base metal into gold. The one question which the alchemist did not permit himself to ask was, quote, unquote, what for? He could not ask this because it would immediately become apparent that there was no sense in his efforts, even if he succeeded. If gold became more plentiful, its value would decrease, and his own purpose would be defeated. The ego has countenanced some strange compromises with the idea of the eternal, making many odd attempts to relate the concept to the unimportant in an effort to satisfy the mind without jeopardizing itself. Thus, it has permitted minds to devote themselves to the possibility of perpetual motion, but not to perpetual thoughts. Seventy-seven. Ideational preoccupations with problems set up to be incapable of solution are favored ego devices for impeding the strong-willed from making real learning prog progress. The problems of squaring the circle and carrying pi to infinity are good examples. A more recent attempt by the ego is particularly noteworthy. The idea of preserving the body by suspension thus giving it the kind of limited immortality which the ego can tolerate, is among its more recent appeals to the mind. It is noticeable, however, that in all these diversionary tactics, the one question which is never asked by those who pursue them is, quote-unquote, what for? The line is Mindy. I could read if you'll let me go in out of order. Uh, um. Okay. Uh, would you read seventy-seven and seventy-eight? I would love to. Thank you. <clears throat> 
ideational preoccupations with problems set up to be incapable of solution are also favorite ego devices for impeding the strong-willed from making real learning progress. The problems of squaring the circle and carrying pi to infinity are good examples. A more recent ego attempt to particular is particularly noteworthy. The idea of preserving the body by suspension, thus giving it the kind of limited immortality which the ego can tolerate, is among its more recent appeals to the mind. It is noticeable, however, that in all these diversionary tactics, the one question which is never asked by those who pursue them is, what for? 78. This is the question which you must learn to ask in connection with everything your mind wishes to undertake. What is the purpose? Whatever it is, you cannot doubt that it will channelize your efforts automatically. When you make a decision of purpose, then, you have made a decision about your future effort, a decision which will remain in effect unless you change the decision. Thank you, Mindy. And uh, let me just say, is there another new reader for 78 and 79? Okay. Uh, over to you, Diana. 78 and 79. Thank you. Good morning. 78. This is the question which you must learn to ask in connection with everything your mind wishes to undertake. What is the purpose? Whatever it is, you cannot doubt that it will be channelized your efforts automatically. When you make a decision of purpose, then, you have made a decision about your future effort, a decision which will remain in effect unless you change the decision. 79. Um, psychologists are in a good position to realize that the ego is capable of making and accepting as real some very distorted associations. The confusion of sex with aggression and the resulting behavior, which is perceived as the same for both, serves as an example. This is understandable to the psychiatrist and does not produce surprise. The lack of surprise, however, is a sign of understanding. It is a symptom of the psychiatrist's ability to accept as reasonable a compromise which is clearly senseless. To attribute it to the mental illness of a patient rather than his own and to limit his question about both the patient and himself is the trivial. Thank you. Thank you, Diana and Jessica. 79. Psychologists are in a good position to realize 
that the ego is capable of making and accepting as real some very distorted associations. The confusion of sex with aggression and the resulting behavior, which is perceived as the same for both, serves as an example. This is, quote, understandable to the psychologist and does not produce surprise. The lack of surprise, however, is not a sign of understanding. It is a symptom of the psychologist's ability to accept as reasonable a compromise which is clearly senseless, to attribute it to the mental illness of the patient rather than his own, and to limit his questions about both the patient and himself to the trivial. 80. Such relatively minor confusions of the ego are not among its more profound misassociations, though they do reflect them. Your egos have been blocking the more important questions which your minds should ask. You do not understand a patient while you yourselves are willing to limit the questions you raise about his mind because you're also accepting these limits for yours. This makes you unable to heal him and yourself. Be always unwilling to adapt to any situation in which miracle-mindedness is unthinkable. That state in itself is enough to demonstrate that the perception is wrong. Thank you, Jessica and Robin Murray. Amy, such relatively minor confusions of the ego are not among its more profound misassociations, although they do reflect them. Your egos have been blocking more important questions which your mind should ask. You do not understand a patient while you yourselves are willing to limit the questions you raise about his mind because you are also accepting these limits for years, for yours. This makes you unable to heal him and yourselves. Be always unwilling to adapt to any situation in which miracle-mindedness is unthinkable. That state in itself is enough to demonstrate that the perception is wrong. Thank you, Robin Murray. And uh, I think for a conclusion and summary, Karen, would you like to read 80 again? Sure, online. Such relatively minor confusions of the ego are not among its more profound misassociations, although they do reflect them. Your egos have been blocking the more important questions which your mind, your mind should ask. You did not understand a patient while you yourselves are willing to limit the questions you raise about his mind because you are also accepting these limits for yours. 
This makes you unable to heal him and yourself. Be always unwilling to adapt to any situation in which miracle-mindedness is unthinkable. That state in itself is enough to demonstrate that the perception is wrong. Thank you, Karen. <clears throat> and uh, I'll turn now to you, Judy, and uh, ask everyone to give their attention to Judy as she leads us in uh, the lesson for the day, lesson 44. God is the light in which I see. Over to you. Hi, guys. Thank you, Lemoyne. Lesson 44. God is the light in which I see. Today, we are continuing with the idea for yesterday, adding another dimension to it. You cannot see in darkness, and you cannot make light. You can make darkness and then think you see in it, but light reflects life and is therefore an aspect of creation. Creation and darkness cannot coexist, but light and life must go together, being but different aspects of creation. In order to see, you must recognize that light is within, not without. You do not see outside yourself, nor is the equipment for seeing outside you. An essential part of this equipment is the light that makes seeing possible. It is, always, it is with you always, making vision possible in every circumstance. Today we are going to attempt to reach that light. For this purpose, we will use a form of practice which has been suggested before, in which we will utilize increasingly. It is a particularly difficult form for the undisciplined mind and represents a major goal of mind training. It embodies precisely what the untrained mind lacks. Yet, training, yet the training must be accomplished if you are to see. So we'll have three practice periods lasting three to five minutes, and a longer time is highly recommended, but only if you find it time slipping by with no sense of strain. Um, this, the form of exercise we will use today is the most natural and easy one in the world for the trained mind, just as it seems to be the most unnatural and difficult for the untrained mind. Your mind is no longer wholly untrained. You are quite ready to learn the form of exercise we will use today. But you may find that you will encounter strong resistance. The reason is very simple. While you practice in this form, you leave behind everything 
that you now believe and all the thoughts which you have made up. Properly speaking, this is the release from hell. Perceived through the ego's eyes, it is a loss of identity and a descent and a descent into hell. <laughs> if you can stand aside from the ego by ever so little, you will have no difficulty in recognizing that its opposition and fears are meaningless. You might find it helpful to remind yourself from time to time that to reach light is to escape from darkness, whatever you may believe to the contrary. God is the light in which you see. You are attempting to reach him. Begin the practice by repeating today's idea with your eyes open. God is the light in which I see. And close them slowly, repeating the idea several more times. Then try to seek into your mind, letting go every kind of interference and intrusion of the ego by quietly sinking past it. Your mind cannot be stopped in this unless you choose to stop it. It is merely taking its natural course. Try to observe your passing thoughts without involvement in them and slip quietly by them. While no particular form of approach is advocated, what is needful is a sense of the importance of what we are doing. It's inestimable value to us and an awareness that we are attempting something very holy. Salvation is our happiest accomplishment. It is also the only one that has any meaning because it is the only one that has any use to us at all. If resistance arise, arises in any form, pause long enough to repeat, God is the light in which I see keeping our eyes closed unless we are aware of fear. In that case, open your eyes briefly and repeat, God is the light in which I see. If we're doing the exercise correctly, we should experience some sense of relaxation and even a feeling that we are approaching, if not actually entering, into light. Try to think of light, formless and without limit, as we pass by the thoughts of the world. And do not forget that the thoughts of the world cannot hold us to the world unless we give them the power to do so. Above all, be determined not to forget to practice 
God is the light in which I see. Let us join in taking five minutes together in silence. God is the light in which I see. God is the light in which I see. I cannot see in darkness. God is the only light. Therefore, if I am to see, it must be through him. We have tried to define what seeing is, and we have been wrong. 
Now it is given us to understand that God is the light in which we see. Let us welcome vision and the happy world it will show us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Hey guys, Jude. <laughs> the art of seeing. This is um, a wonderful lesson. I'm just thinking about how more um, relaxed and easy it is just to open my mind and open my heart and just look at everything as equal and um, the same in the light, in the light of holiness, and through through a peaceful mind through a tranquil mind, through a non-judgmenting mind, um, and to look at everything equally without judgment. And, um, you know, how, how perception can be very grasping and specific in what my body's eyes might light on, I want this or I want that, or I like this or I don't like that. In all the myriads of choices that, perception has to choose from, but vision doesn't make any of those choices. It just sees everything as one and one and whole and holy. So thank you for um, being here and um, I'm grateful to share the lesson with you today. I am complete. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Judy. Just a couple little thoughts. Um, I did this this morning before Reverend Pam's call. And, you know, my ego mind likes to have a practice. <laughs> you know, I chant uh, almost 400 mantras every morning, you know. <laughs> and I feel insecure or like 
I don't trust that I'm going to have an experience of God unless I do, you know, as if I can lift weights or something. I don't know. But I did this morning just sit. And a lot of Course in Miracles thoughts came up, you know, just, I need do nothing. And God goes with me wherever I go. And God is my source in which I see. And as, as it just became more and more still, um, more and more surrender to whatever is happening, which it says in this reading, all things work together for good. There are no exceptions except in the ego's judgment. Control is a central factor with the ego, what the ego permits into consciousness, and it devotes maximum vigilance. So at, at first there's this phase in going into the stillness where I have to just ignore the ego and leave it alone, let it do its thing and not not be troubled by it. You know, am I only perceiving darkness? I got to tell you the truth, in a, in a very short time, there was lots and lots of light. You know, the light comes by just saying, thank you, God, I love you. I'm so grateful that I belong to you. And that was a really big takeaway. Um, I keep having this vision in my meditations where I'm getting my first communion because I was, you know, I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school at first, and I had first communion. And I just loved what someone shared last week that, you know, when you knelt down to get the host, you would say, uh, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. And so I turned it around and I said, thank you, God, I am worthy to receive you. I am worthy because I belong to you, because you are my source, and you are the light in which I see. And it's as if this false self is like a, a human body, and I can just take it off and push it aside, and I'm just emptiness and stillness, and I'm in the light, and that's my true Christ self. I still have this um, body, this of you know, emotions and memories and history and some scars. And, um, but I do perceive that I am, that that's not real. It's a false self-reality. I need to become more skillful through practice of setting it aside, you know, really setting it aside when the, when the turmoil and chaos of things happening is, in the way of me being, you know, able to go into meditation. But uh, I am worthy to receive you because I am, you are my source. And you are the light in which I see. And when my mind, God is the light in which I see. God is the love in which I see. Love is the light in which I see. Love is the light in which I see. If I'm not seeing through light, love, then I am not seeing then I'm temporarily, you know, uh, lost in the false self. The true self is the Christ self. The light is always there. The love is always there. I need to make an adjustment to it to be able to align to it. And that doesn't mean that I perceive light all the time because I'm very aware that sometimes the light has to shine through the falsehood to undo it. That's the purification process. 
But that doesn't mean I believe in it. I think that's enough. I'm sorry if I went on too long. I'm complete. No, that was good. I felt its restfulness. I'm very grateful. Thank you. So glad for you. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, I think to Karen, the example of the mantras is um, is very useful. I mean, that talks about the difference in this lesson, which is more like the end of the workbook than all the other lessons so far. But um, hmm. yeah, it's useful. The mantra is useful in training the mind to uh, not really, it's not really control, but choice of what to focus on. But, you know, given the, our, our past history with, uh, you know, uh, building a nest and of compromises to try and hide everything else below the consciousness. You know, there's some effort required to get to get past all that, but the the training from the mantra and in uh making choices is useful. And yeah, so I mean that question, what for? You can start maybe start to see how we spend our our time in effects in details rather than um, you know what <clears throat> what might be the or what is and what we might perceive as uh, first cause real purpose is the uh, it, there are multiple ways he points at what the light is doesn't really define it too tightly but he does it is of unity and single purpose so I think this is why the association with the what is it for that is one way past the nagging but tiny questions the ego would ask. I'm complete. Thank you, Lemoyne. It's Robin Marie. I just had one uh, thing that popped out at me when we were reading on paragraph 74. Um, it may surprise us to learn that had the ego wished to do so, it could have made the eternal because as a product of the mind, it is endowed with the power 
of its own creator. To me, that was so um, such a positive statement to continue our work and to seeing the results and seeing things turn uh, in our lives to um, beauty and truth. So I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. Thank you, Robin Marie. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Robin Marie. Um, first of all, we have to know and remember that the ego is not real. We gave it that belief. We made it. And we became it in our this ego body and in a in a ego mind when we think outside of God. Um, Charles had mentioned something in the pre-call that reminded me of a practice that we can do in our own minds. He said that um, your mind cannot be stopped in this unless you choose to stop it. It is merely taking its natural course. Try to observe your passing thoughts without involvement and slip quietly by them. And when he said that, the, the, the thought of Tai Chi came into my mind. And it's a practice that tries to avoid negative energy. And if you see it coming at you, it's stealthy with the body being mindful to step to the side to let it flow around. And I think with Holy Spirit guidance and staying in the now moment, which is where eternity is and not be outside of that in the past or future with our distractions or the things that the ego desperately wants you to be in so it can survive because it only has time. When you are in that moment of the now and you are aware, you know, I love I love the, the practice that my noticing is becoming easier to me. So I can, you know, with Holy Spirit's guidance, Choose, choose to avoid those kind of thoughts to let that energy pass through me, you know, and, and not react. Um, and, but to notice. I, I have that choice. I think it's the, the, you know, the Course is saying we do have that choice. We can stop it, but we have to be mindful that it's there incomplete. Thanks, Diana. Amen. Thank you. Oh, I found it interesting in the text. Um, where it speaks of this tangential busyness um, of the egoic mind. It's it's always on the go. Um, And thank you for that lovely opening, Lori, from Adia. um, (laughs) I heard him say something funny the other day about the egoic mind. It's like a hammer that's trying to figure out the meaning of life. And um, 
you know, it's just, it's a useful tool, but it's a terrible master because it's constantly seeking to, to fix problems. You know, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with the world? And it never stops, but that's its function. It's, it's a tool for instinctual survival. It's a part of the instrument of perception. And the willingness to relax, take it easy, know that everything has been given us, um, that I have no needs that God doesn't take care of is, is a part of my practice that, you know, anything I think I need or I think I want is, can hurt me because it's of the ego. And the, um, this whole seek and, seek and find, you know, that the, the body is the ego's home by its own selection from paragraph 71 and how it's always in a state of imbalance because it's operating according to the scales of desire. Um, the myriad thousands, 10,000 choices. And, you know, what, what, where do I go to buy what I want, to have what I want in order to make me feel safe and secure and, and protected and to build up my body image so I look good, so people like me. So, And on and on and on the ego image building goes. Um, you know, I... I <laughs> had a conversation with my sister once about this when um, after I started awakening to the truth of who I was I really minimized I stopped shopping I stopped needing to buy things in, in order to validate myself and my sister of course is a multimillionaire and you know building houses and going on vacations and has five cars and um you know, she, she pays more in insurance than I pay in a year to exist on her thing. She insures. And when we think about where do, we, where do I go for my protection, where do, I, where do we go for our protection in the world, what makes me feel safe in the world, how do I perpetuate the image that I am a body in the world. And this is the big... Who, Kahuna question, who, who am I and who do I think I am in living in this world? And um, the undoing of all the false perceptions, the false thinking that contributes to perpetuating an image of myself. So this is real fundamental. And um, not to forget to laugh um, that we have this endless seeker and fi not finding um, who says, turn to me, turn to my ego to make me safe, um, that's identified with the body. And, um, but meaningful seeking is <laughs> consciously undertaken and seek not outside myself to know who I am in truth. And I have to be very still. I have to still the thoughts of the world, thoughts of myself, personal thoughts preoccupied with myself. Be quiet, be still, be tranquil, be calm, be assured. <sighs> Amen. That's all, folks. Have a joyful day. Thank you, Judy.
Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. I just, I, I just remember something somebody in AA used to say when I first came in, when I was totally preoccupied with thinking about myself um, in relation to this question we must learn to ask, what is the purpose? What is all this thinking for? And um, this, this guy was funny. He used to say, I may not be much, but I'm all I ever think about. <laughs> That's all, folks. Hi guys, this is Lori. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna make a confession that <clears throat> it took me a long time to understand uh, what we're talking about, and I'm I'm still not going to claim that I do uh, when we're talking about light. Um, Karen shared about First Communion and that lovely expression uh, that we're taught to say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but the rest of that phrase is, only say the word and I shall be healed. Only say the word. Um, Don't you just get a a hit on holiness when you see that? the Word of God capitalized, or um, accept atonement capitalized, um, accept capital S self, uh, Christ. All these capital words, you know, you get a real sense of of holiness, and and uh, that thing, that that essence that the mind is yearning for, you know. And so many meditations in in the workbook are, um, I think, purposely designed to satisfy that sense of longing, you know, that um, is evoked when you see capital word, only say the word and I shall be healed. And light is like that. Um, but I'll make no claim to understand all that it means, that's for sure. While I was sitting this is this is so flippin' weird, but I was I was sitting here thinking about the meditation and sinking down and and keep one thought in mind that it is so so very valuable what you're doing. It's so very important and it's so very holy. And and I was thinking and <clears throat> And as I was thinking, I was thinking this this beautiful thinking. I just 
Now, love going past um, my blocks, <coughs> excuse me, and, and finding that place, <laughs> thinking, well, finding that place in my heart where Holy Spirit plucks my strings, you know, and, and I resonate with truth. Finding that place is just, you know, I love that. Where Holy Spirit plucks my strings, He finds that thing in me that resonates with exactly the chord of truth that that the universe is giving me uh, when I go there. <laughs> and then I was just I listened to some shares, and I was thinking about strumming my heart with his fingers, singing my singing my life with his song. You know, and, and um, just really lovely things were coming to me. And when I, um, you know, sat back in my chair and I looked at my paper, looked at my desk, I had a text message, and this is just going to dazzle you. It dazzled me. A text message from Robert Marie. I'm sure she won't mind me sharing. Um, the message is pictures from the magazine, my late husband, David Maitland's guitar. Now, Kate's guitar is in, and there's some beautiful pictures here of a guitar and the player of a guitar. And I'm thinking this this thing it's so important. It's of inestimable value, and it is very holy to reach that place um, where truth is in the mind, and to let in that place to let the universe or God or source or light or whatever word you want to put there um, sing you you know it sings you and and when it when it sings you um, you get a you get a hit on how very very holy everything is Everything, you know, and and from that place, you know, if this is light, then I like it. Um, from that place, then I can begin to appreciate what this life and world and myself and creation are really all about, and um, and that that hit of holiness is. It's always there, and I can always resonate with it, even ordinary um, time, you know, is all right. It's very worthy uh, to find this place of inestimable value where he speaks the word and I am healed. And... Um, it has many, uh, many words for all the same thing. Um, that place of resonance where God is allowed to speak and I can receive. Karen talked about mantra too, and 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 I like that. I like that as a. Um, as an anchor, you know, 
Um, and sometimes in that sinking uh, down, you know, you um, you get a little disoriented. Maybe I don't know. Sometimes I do. <clears throat> like what? What am I doing? Where am I going? What is this unknown? And and it's helpful, you know, if mind is ding 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 over here and over here and over here, um, distracted and stuff. <clears throat> Sometimes it's helpful to have an anchor word, and and even even anchor word, even even that um, place where you hold on as you go uh, can be given. It will be given if I ask for it. And I find that helpful too. <clears throat> um, and then there's lots of things you could say about say about sinking into that place, but the one thing that you can't say about it is that it has any um, feature of my making anything happen. It doesn't have any feature of that. It doesn't have any feature of control. As our um, as our reading today uh, compares and contrasts, you know what the mind really is. And to me, mind really is the place where God can resonate inside. You know that temple of being that we really are, and. Um, and that's what mind was designed for. That's why mind was created. And that's why mind is a creator, like the creator. Um, that it, it extends itself in resonance with source, just pure light and love and... and um, harmony and beauty and and such as all that um, that's what we're created for and that's how God wants to sing us you know back to where we were and are still and will always be that eternal uh, nature all this other business of ego body ID is distraction you know, and, and it's as alive in my awareness as I pay attention to it. In other words, it lives off my truth. This whole business of ego body identification only has an existence as it borrows it from my reality. I'm on I'm on the left side of the page. I'm the real. I'm I'm the place where God resonates. I'm the light. I am the place where God sings. I'm the harmony. That's the truth. That's the light. That's the soul. That's our being. All this other business on the other side of the page. I, I like to do it when he when he talks like this to us. You know what mind really is, and and how we get um, stuck in uh, the tininess of being. You know. I divide my page so I can see clearly what he's talking about. And on the right side of the page, all this business of control and, and distraction and subconscious burying of material and um, where am I to go and protection and and 
you know, perpetual thinking about non-meaningful stuff and, and all that is just distraction. So a lesson like today is, is so beautiful uh, to clarify what, what we're really about here, what's really going on here. Um, and, and what is the perpetual unknown of this light? And I do believe, um, I believe we can touch it, tap it, resonate with it, let it tell us things, strum our hearts, all of that. But I don't believe there's ever an end to it, you know. Um, it's an ongoing process. And so every time I take my mind and rest it like this, um, I'm learning more about this great unknown. And I think um, learning is a good word for that, but I think it's uh, participating with it that is the real adventure in um, creation. You know, what comes of all this? What comes of all this is um, is my Father's will, is what it is. And the um, joy of living is to participate with that in ways that I'll never be able to um, predict. And that's not my job. I'll never be able to predict and say, okay, well, this is what's going to happen as a consequence of this. That's not, that's not the way it works. It's you participate with this, and as a consequence of it, look how everything unfolds and appreciate how through all of that unfolding, he's been speaking and strumming and singing through you in a way that brings forth something pretty darn exciting uh, that you never, ever, ever could have anticipated, like pictures of David Matlin's guitar, which is now Kate. You know, isn't isn't this beautiful? Uh, I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> Don't know much about light, <laughs> but I think that's all right. Thank you, Lori. Last year, when we did this lesson, I'm remembering now, I, I was, um, when we get close to these lessons, like, like God is the light in which I see these real mystery lessons, I always, there's this thing in my mind that says, um, this is, this is it. 
you know, this, the mind says, this is it. God is the light in which I see. And it instantly, for me anyway, my mind instantly forms an image or an expectation or a, um, a construct, forms a, a construct around what that word means, God is the light in which I see. And that instant construct, because of the way the mind works, um, is unknown, but at the same time inaccessible except with great effort. You know that feeling? It's inaccessible except with great effort. Therefore, it can't be right here, right now. And it's something future-oriented. And you won't believe it when you see it because you can't imagine it. Um, but it's there. <laughs> and by golly, um, here comes effort along. And next thing you know, you think, I've got effort, 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 effort. And the way it works for me anyway is that effort thing that gets in there takes the goal of light and sets it somewhere just a little out of reach. Just just a little out of reach. And and it will continue to do that as long as I uh, I believe I allow that to happen. My 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 goal is to um not allow that to happen. Not um from the image, make it inaccessible, set it out there, effort, effort, effort. Not do that. I said we're not doing that like that. And um and how to not do that, that's why I I brought up uh mantra or anchor is a good way to not do that. And the other way uh I discovered last year to not do that, to not let that thing affect what God wants to give me um, was to ask a simple question. A simple question in an open place without an expectation of what it is. I don't know what light is. I don't know. I simply don't know what light is. And I'll make the open place where Holy Spirit can uh, clear that up for me without an expectation or um, that sense of need to grasp, you know, and, and to rest, just rest with the question. I don't understand what you mean by life. And um, I found that very helpful. And, and um, I also discovered just like he says in this word, uh, I'm, I'm working with your mind all the time, he says, whether you're asleep or awake. I'm always working with your mind. And then I've made the open place, then he can work with my mind. And, and as a consequence, I think of that open space last year, um, I started having dreams about Event Horizon. And I don't know anything about Event Horizon, so I looked it up. And it's simply that meeting place where the allure, where the attraction is so tremendous, there's no escape. And to me, that is a very excellent description of where holiness meets my place, where holiness arrives at me. And I am open enough to receive that holiness. 
it's inescapable because it's truth and it's everything because nothing without holiness exists and the allure the attraction of God for his souls is inescapable and my desire for God by my soul is also inescapable that's a pretty good place where human and divine I think can intersect and experience each other and so maybe that's a pretty good definition for me right now for what light is but the point I'm trying to make is when I make the open place without an expectation of how it's supposed to look it can be shown me uh, in all it's you say blazing glory as if that's a thing to see uh, but it conveys the idea anyway so um, that was really helpful to me I'm complete Well, thank you, Lori.
Well, this is Lemoyne. <clears throat> um, I'm always appreciative when the call goes silent and given given the lesson for the day it's it's really unsurprising and uh it's probably a really useful useful reaction to this this dilemma you know the kinds of dilemmas that the ego um would use to hide the uh, real questions, but also to, uh, well, I think it preserves a sense of uncertainty, the presence of a dilemma, but I think to speak a little bit about it, I mean, the idea that, you know, what the Course says is that we, we believe that we've changed ourselves and uh and this would seem to call for more change <laughs> so we could change back but if changing ourselves is the core issue maybe you know maybe a bunch of efforting <clears throat> towards some idea of what we are it's got it's already got the it's already got um you know more separation of ourself from ourself which is the fundamental illusion that you know leaves us uncertain and seeking So, you know, the actual methods of the actual healing is, does come more from stillness and silence and, uh, letting these, uh, thoughts that would pull us this way and that and have us oscillate oscillate in between you know human and divine or um present and future or whatever it is that yeah that's that's the real issue that's kind of in some way that's the fundamental issue and uh If what all that busyness is for is just hiding what's actually already there, then, you know, a lesson like today's does contain the direction to take towards healing. And, uh, Yeah, I think I'll stop there. There's something else I'd like to bring. I'll bring it on the after call. Um, 
And so I was just asking now, Laura, do you have that second poem? Would you like to bring that as close? <laughs> oh, I sure would. One of my favorite poems or poets is Mary Oliver. <clears throat> In the world, but not of the world, you know. Um, she, she wrote this poem I just love. There are things you can't reach but you can reach out to them and all day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. And it can keep you as busy as anything else and happier. I look, I look, morning to night, I am never done with looking, looking. I mean, not just standing around, but standing around as though with your arms wide open. Standing around as though with your arms wide open. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Lori. Thank you, everyone who's here, uh, who read or shared. And uh, I'll end the recording, but not the call. We, we do go on. <laughs>